Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. out there on Blog Talk Radio, Facebook, YouTube, and RevMedia.com. If you have not yet gone to our webpage at OmegaRadio.org, that's OmegaRadio.org, and scrolled across the tabs and clicked on the Watch Live, you need to try that out, okay? Because that may be one of the platforms that we're going to continue to be able to broadcast on as YouTube continues to uh, harass us with their opinionated uh, censorship against speaking our own thoughts and minds. And so right now we still are broadcasting under Vincent Xavier on YouTube, and we are also broadcasting on Facebook. But when these platforms shut down, I want you to remember all you need to do to join this broadcast is go to omegaradio.org and click on the Watch Live and that will be our video streaming platform. Always on Blog Talk Radio, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. We're also looking into Rumble, and we are also looking into Brighteon. We have already signed up for accounts there, and so uh, when we are uh, more knowledgeable about how that all works into live streams, we'll make sure we share that information with you as well. I would like to begin the broadcast today, however, with one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, and it is in John chapter 8. It's the profound statement that our Lord Jesus Christ made when he was walking upon the earth. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Then spoke Jesus again unto them, saying, 
I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What a profound statement. I want to just explore that a little bit. I am the light of the world. And that is the phos in the Greek, the phos. And it's kind of like force, but it's phos, as my brother Michael would say. (laughs) Michael V. All right, so phos literally means I am that one that shines or makes manifest, especially by rays of light and glory. Amen. He is the S-O-N. And the S-O-N sends forth his rays of light and glory into the hearts and minds of men. The glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ shining in the hearts of men. Oh, praise the Lord for it. It also means the foes. I am the foes. I am the one that makes manifest. I am the one that sends forth the rays of divine light, glory, understanding, knowledge, and wisdom into the hearts of men. It also says I am the luminous one. I am the luminous one. I am the fire. I am the light. I am the illuminator of the mind of man. I am the illuminator of the whole world. My light is the light of the world. This is Jesus. This is our Lord. And he said, whoever follows me, what will happen? He said, whoever follows me, and we need to look at that word follow for just a moment, that word, he that follows the akolutheo, And the akalutheo literally means to join one as a disciple or to become a disciple or his disciple. And it is in the deeper definition, it is the to be in the same way with, to accompany, especially as a disciple. Remember, Jesus turned around to a multitude of people that were following him. And he said, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciples, okay? And so a lot of people follow Jesus for the miracles, for the food, for the water, for the blessings. But he is referring to whoever follows him as a disciple or a disciplined one, which is more important than God just giving to us all the things that we need, which he does anyways. But what he's really looking for in the followers, the true followers, is their discipleship so that they become more effective in their life and in the world in which we live. Are you following Jesus for the right reason? That's the big question. But Jesus said he's the light of the world. He's the foes. He's the illuminator. He's the one that causes manifestation. And this is glorious. There's no doubt about it by sending forth the lights of his glory, the rays of his glory. And then he said, whoever follows me as a disciple, in other words, will accept the discipline to become the huios, the sons of God, not the children, the technon, or the babies, the napions, but whoever will become a huios in the kingdom of God, he said, they shall not walk in darkness. So whoever follows Jesus as a disciple, as a disciplined one, shall not walk in darkness. The word darkness is the scotia, and the word scotia here is simply obscurity, or dimness. Uh, It's used of ignorance of divine things as it is associated with wickedness and the resultant misery in hell. Wow. So we don't want to be in wickedness. We don't want to be in the resultant uh, misery 
of wickedness, which is hell. <clears throat> we don't want to be ignorant of divine things. All right, so whoever walks with me, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks with me, who follows me as a disciple, as a disciplined one, shall never walk in the darkness, the ignorance about spiritual things or divine things, but shall have the light of life, the Zoe, the Zoe life, okay? And that word life is the Zoe, and it literally talks about one who is possessed of vitality or is animate. It's talking about the absolute fullness of life. So whoever follows Jesus, the light of the world, whoever follows his ray of wisdom and knowledge and understanding, whoever walks in the light of divine things, the knowledge of divine things, the understanding of divine things, will never be in darkness and will have that illuminating light of life, the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God, and through him, both to the hypostatic logos, word of God, and to Christ, in whom the logos put on human nature. Oh, it's profound, isn't it? He is the word made flesh, no doubt about it. But it's also talking about the Zoe, life real and genuine. Oh, hallelujah. Life real and genuine, a life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed in the portion, even in this world, of those who put their trust in Christ, but after the resurrection to be consummated by new ascensions, wow, among them a more perfect body and to last forever. In other words, we In this life, as we follow the Lord as disciples, we are going to know a true, real, genuine, active, vigorous life devoted to God that is blessed in this world. And then after the resurrection, we get brand new bodies that live forever. Wow, Jesus, I want to follow you. Muhammad is not the light of the world. The government is not the light of the world. Confucius is not the light of the world. Buddha is not the light of the world. They all talk about light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So to all of you that are preaching the gospel, do not be ashamed to tell them there's only one light of the world. And let everybody else talk about the light, because if they're talking about the true light, they're talking about Yeshua, Jesus. Hallelujah. You are walking as a disciple in the genuine, real, invigorated, active life. Praise God. Now, again, people will follow Jesus. They'll go to church, but they're not walking and following as disciples or disciplined ones who have been apprehended by God, okay, and to be apprehended by God and to be broken and to be dealt with by God. And all of those things is a sign of God's pure love for his kids. For those I love, I reprove and rebuke. In Jesus' name, amen. And there is no son or daughter that belongs to the Lord that is without chastisement, okay? But we're all chastised for our profit or our profitability. In other words, growing up into the mature things of God. Hallelujah. Don't you want to walk in the intended purpose of God in your life? Absolutely, we all do. And we need more men and women to walk on this earth that are illuminated about within the divine things of God that have the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, to know beyond the smoke and mirrors of this very deceptive time 
Jesus lived in a world of a lot of deception, but he was the light. He exposed the darkness. He manifested forth the glory. He was a light-shining being. He was a life-giving spirit. And God calls you and I to be the same as he was. We who are joined to the Lord are one spirit. That's what the Bible says. So I just wanted to encourage you today to continue to follow Jesus as a disciple, which means you allow his word to discipline you. You don't tell God what to do. You let God's word tell you what to do. You give up our, our opinions. We give up our ways, our reasoning, our ideas. Focus on following the instructions that Jesus left for us. And we learn to be led by the Holy Spirit who is with us forever. He's the leader. We are the follower. And the Holy Spirit will never lead without the word. The word and the spirit are one. So praise God. Pass the ammunition. And thank the Lord for the light of the world. You're not following some religion. You're not following some dead, archaic, outdated, antiquated religious system of organized traditions of men. You are a follower of Jesus the Christ. You are the follower of the light of the world. You are walking in the light. You will not be consumed by the darkness. It will not take you to the misery of hell. You will follow the Lord Jesus because he has called you to follow him, to make of you a disciple, to train you up, to bring you to fullness so that you could walk in cooperation with the Father as the firstborn son did and that you can do the works that Jesus did. You can understand the signs of the times. You could walk in the agape love of God. You can walk as a son or daughter of the Most High God, and just enjoy the journey because it's eternal. And when this life is over, hallelujah, we're stepping into an eternal reality, and God cannot lie. He is not a man. He has promised that those who believe in him, that follow him, will walk directly into the eternal corridors of the glory and the bliss of heaven. And it is unimaginable. It is way beyond our ability to comprehend the greatness of what God has prepared for those that love him. So hallelujah, we're going to begin right there today. I've got a bit of really good news that I want to share with you, and I think it's exciting, very exciting news. And I want to begin with this article right out of, uh, from, from today, but welcome to September 1st, by the way, September 1st. Oof, wow, man, is it going quick or what? Starting tomorrow, okay? Starting tomorrow, and this was written yesterday at 1.32 p.m., by the way, so we're starting about today. Roe versus Wade will functionally cease to exist in Texas unless the Supreme Court steps in the country's most dangerous anti-abortion law will go into effect. Now, this is coming from the left. So you can hear the language and the tone of this article. So again, unless the Supreme Court steps in, the country's most dangerous anti-abortion law will go into effect. That's what the left is saying. Oh, my God, if they stop allowing us to kill babies, that's terrible. But listen to the rest of the article. Banning abortions after six weeks and placing a cash bounty on providers. That's how the article begins. I feel like people are waiting for the headline, Roe vs. Wade overturned. 
to appear in a giant font above the fold of the New York Times before they demand the Democrats do something to protect abortion rights. This is coming from the left. They're terrified that this dangerous law would come into power to stop abortion. We've got to stop it. The Democrats have to do something, right? So they're terrified about this. I feel, this writer says, like as long as Roe remains on the books, only women's rights activists will talk about or even notice that the right to bodily autonomy is being functionally revoked in Republican-controlled state after Republican-controlled state. In other words, there are many states that are making abortion illegal. They are limiting it. Now, in Texas, last night, this went into effect. I want to get into, a, I think, a better article. It says here the Supreme Court has just two days to decide the fate of Roe versus Wade. In a few months, the Supreme Court will hear a case that gives the conservative justices an opportunity to overrule Roe v. Wade, allowing states to ban abortion at early stages of pregnancy. But Texas can't wait that long. In May, the state's Republican lawmakers passed a law known as SB8 that outlaws abortion after six weeks. But SB8 is unique. It empowers private citizens, not government officials, to enforce it. Wow. The measure allows any random stranger to bring a lawsuit in state court against any individual who aids or abets an abortion in Texas after six weeks. So if you become a witness to an abortion and you're a random citizen, you have every right to bring a lawsuit against the people that aided and abetted in the abortion. I love that. Talk about giving the people the, uh, back their country and their rights, right? This is great news. And now <clears throat> anyone in the country may file such a suit against abortion abettors in any state court within Texas. So if the plaintiff wins, they collect a minimum of $10,000 plus attorney's fees. And if they win a case against an abortion provider, the court must shut down that clinic. If the provider somehow prevails, they collect nothing, not even attorney's fees. Now, Texas Republicans devised this convoluted system. Okay, so this is, again, the left is angry. It was so fun to turn on CNN this morning. I love doing that to see how they respond to things and to see them wide-eyed and their faces down and Oh, my God, look what they did in Texas and the Supreme Court and a woman's rights, and they're going to stop abortion. And it's like these leftists don't get it in their heads that all that is doing is stopping the mass murder, the systematic satanic mass murder on the altars of idolatry from shedding more innocent blood. But while this is really, really good news for Texas, and by the way, if any of you ever remember the, this, the, the movie, it was kind of a series called Jericho. And I'm not talking about the Cowboys series, Jericho, but Jericho, where a nuclear bomb goes off in Denver and then in 15 other cities across America. Look up for Jericho. The year was 2006. And you need to watch it if you never had. It'll teach you tons of stuff. But just chew the meat and spit out the bones. But again... It was in that series at the end of the day after two seasons and then they shut it down because it was getting too close to the truth because there was a lot of truth to it. 
It was a time where the prophets were saying there'd be uh, nuclear bombs going off all over the country. And then the movie came out and kind of confirmed it that, you know, wow, this is really in the spirit. Well, in Jericho, at the end of the day, it's Texas who becomes its own sovereign country. And Texas is built up militarily and is ready to go to war with the new government that came out of the ashes of all the nuclear detonations in Wyoming. And so they were in Cheyenne, Wyoming, the headquarters of the new government. So these 15 nuclear devices, they take out the present government. A new government comes to power. They're, they're controlled in Cheyenne, but they're not for the United States of America as we've always been as a country. So now Texas gets involved as a sovereign country, and then they stop the movie. So it's really awesome what's going on in Texas, Arkansas, and other states within our nation that are making abortion illegal. Now, the, the tougher part of this story is that we are 45 years. Let's go. Are we 48 years? Let's see, 1973, 48 years of the mass murder, the systematic mass murder of innocent babies' blood being sacrificed upon the altars of idolatry, giving power to satanic spirit to bring our country into the condition that it is. I mean, one of the reasons why America is in the condition that it is in is because of the legalization from the Supreme Court 48 years ago. So for 48 years, mass murder. Now a few states are trying to resist that abortion, that Roe versus Wade decision in 72 and 73. And now you have to ask the question, is it too late? Now, some people say it's better late than never. And yet there are moments in the economy of God where it's too little too late. Okay, it's just not going to stem the tide of judgment that's coming. However, we always have to stand back. We always have to give place to God. We always have to remember that he's the creator. We are the creation. That who has known the mind of the Lord? We all see through a glass darkly, so we don't have the full view. God does reveal certain things to certain people to release into the atmosphere. There's no doubt about it. And so we have to tread very carefully and very cautiously. I'm so thrilled that that happened in Texas last night. Okay, so Roe versus Wade in Texas has been nullified. That's really good news. And I believe the same is right here in Arkansas. We did the same thing. So this is great. Now the left is spinning and they're wobbling and they don't know what to do about this. And they're saying the Supreme Court has to stand up and defend Roe versus Wade but they know that there are six conservative judges. Three of them were put on the bench by President Donald J. Trump while he was the president of the United States. Now, that's powerful. So the question gets into, if you want to have a question about it, um, is it too little too late? Uh, for Texas, after 48 years of the mass murder of over 90 million babies in the womb, and then remember that the over 90 million babies in the womb that were slaughtered viciously through abortion 
that over 500 million other babies around the world were also murdered at the taxpayer dollars of the American citizens who funded Planned Parenthood through their taxes. Now, there's, a, there's something that is stopping that as well, supposedly, but then the left is bringing it back into funding these abortion clinics. So this is a really big battle, but it is 48 years later, and no doubt it's better to go down fighting, right? So we have to be encouraged by these things. They're very, very good, and we praise the Lord for them. So um, very interesting. Another note of interest, okay? This is just a note of interest. Uh, for anybody that is listening, and I, I wanted to show this on my phone last night. Uh, about two weeks ago, I came on the airwaves and I talked about, you know, God had shown that there was going to be a hurricane. There was going to be a massive hurricane that was going to hit the United States. Well, Ida came along, and I remember coming on the air yesterday saying, I really don't believe that Ida is the hurricane that God was revealing or showing. And again, I'm treading very softly here. And I remember saying to our church and to on the radio and to <clears throat> Patricia, I said, the hurricane that's going to come that, that I saw in the spirit is going to spin off of the coast of Africa by Cape Verde. And you may go back into our archives and find this conversation. And I said, this one's going to spin off of Africa and it's going to come to the United States. Well, last night, while I was watching the Weather Channel, sure enough, sure enough, there's a new system <clears throat> that just spun off of the coast of Africa called something 12. <clears throat> it's the number 12. And the projection is for next Sunday <clears throat> that this 12 is going to turn into a hurricane midway across <clears throat> the ocean as it's turning towards the United States. And the newscaster <laughs> was saying that it was a, um, I have it for you right here. Let's see if I can put it on the video. I focused on this. If you will. So there are the remnants of uh, Ida, an area to watch here down in the deep Caribbean. We have Trump with Depression Kate out there. Don't believe that's going to be a threat. But the one to watch is going to be this one right here. Tropical Depression 12 has just rolled off the coast of Africa. See, Kate, we go Tropical Depression, moving north, north, All right, so, how again, I'm, I'm just treading very softly, but when I heard the news announcer say the exact same words, I thought, how interesting that I was saying it was going to spin off of the coast of Africa, Cape Verde, where the, the you know, the, the two climates kind of clash, and that's where this would come. And they said the same exact thing. Uh-oh, watch out. Another one has come, and it's uh, this uh, high thing, 12, which is a very interesting number, by the way. And he said, this is the one you got to watch for. And later on in that broadcast, I have it recorded still, uh, he says, we've got to watch this one could turn out to be a major hurricane. And I'm thinking somewhere over 200-mile-an-hour winds with what I'm seeing. Uh, and, again, time will tell. It may fizzle out and become absolutely nothing. I just thought it was very interesting that this was spinning off the coast of Africa. Um, very interesting. So can you imagine 200-mile-an-hour winds? There were gusts out of Ida that hit Louisiana that were blowing at 171 miles per hour, 171-mile-per-hour gusts that hit certain parts of Louisiana. That storm, Ida, is still wreaking havoc 
uh, throughout the United States, heading east into the Central Plains and all that area in Washington and going into New York and going up into Connecticut and then through maybe new, even New England. I mean, it's a devastating storm that's producing a lot of flooding, and they're beginning to show the images of Louisiana. Millions of people's lives have been affected by the storm, and yet I don't believe that's the one. But this one that I, I believe possibly will come is going to produce winds over 200 miles per hour. And, that, and, and wherever that thing is going to make landfall, that is very powerful. And it does impact the nation to a very strong degree. And we're seeing all these events swirling around our country from fires to tornadoes to hurricanes to all these different issues, political, social agitations, stirring up the sea of humanity. I also wanted to share this. I thought this was absolutely beautiful. Uh, This came yesterday uh, from some new listeners to our broadcast. And it was regarding the Feast of Tabernacles that's coming up. And this couple wrote and said, we are lone missionaries in the mountains of Honduras. We are new listeners. Your podcast has become a lifeline for us. The confirmation we have received regarding what God has been showing us over the last few years is staggering. We wish we could be present for the upcoming gathering, but we will be there in spirit. We just wanted to say thank you and tell you how much we appreciate your ministry, Maranatha, Brian, and Kathy. So this podcast reached into the mountains of Honduras to two lone missionaries, and I responded to them, let us know more about your ministry, and maybe we could do something to help you. We'll see. It was a very beautiful uh, letter from Brian and Kathy. And if they're listening today, I just want to say thank you for that very uh, excellent encouragement. And it's good to know that we've reached out and have uh, gone that far. And God bless your ministry and your work. So that's kind of how we want to begin today. I desire to walk in the light of Christ and I, sh- I am sure you are as well desiring to walk in the light of Christ. The United States of America, as you know, at this moment, is ripe, very ripe for judgments. Now, judgment has been in our land since 2001, particularly since 9-11, 2001. And as you know, 10 days from now, which is going to be right around the same exact date of Rosh Hashanah. As a matter of fact, let me do something because this is kind of an epiphany to my own mind right now. Um, There is the blowing of the trumpets. So let me get my trusty little, uh, I want to find out where Oh, Vincent, where do you put things? All right, so I'm looking for when is Rosh Hashanah. So I'll just go on here. I'll do it this way. Oops. Maybe I'll do it this way. Can I do it that way? Where are you? I'm always losing things. All right. Oh, here it is. Good. This is what I was looking for. Now, today is the first day of September 2021 in 
the Gregorian calendar. The Hebrew calendar tells us today is the 24th day of Elul, okay? And so 5781. So if I put this to day number 11 of September and I convert it, it turns out that this would be the fifth day of Tishri. All right. So the fifth day of Tishri. So on the first day of Tishri, which is the seventh month, according to the Hebrew calendar, the seventh, uh, the seventh month, first day of the month is Rosh Hashanah, the blowing of the trumpets, which is really uh, a call to the people of God spread out all over the earth of the upcoming great feast of tabernacles. It is not a new year. That's rabbinical teaching. Okay, maybe in their civil calendar, but God's new year is always in, according to Exodus chapter 12, the first day of the first month of a new year is in the spring, okay, which is Nisan or Abib. So what the blowing of the trumpets actually represent in God's economy of scripture is an awakening to the people that the great fall feasts are on the way. So this is a trumpet blast on the first day of the seventh month. And then uh, that there will be the 10 days of awe is what they're called in rabbinical teaching, where it's introspection and people are examining their hearts. Because on the 10th day of the seventh month is Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. And that's the day which is a high holy day, the highest holy day in the economy of Israel, as it was written, where people actually go to court that day, having examined themselves for 10 days, finding their confession, finding their their conviction and their compunction to repent of anything that wasn't right before God. And then they go to court and then the judge of the universe makes a decision who is guilty, who is not guilty, who's going to live another year, who's not going to live another year. You and I, when we go to court, Jesus Christ is our advocate. So this is all in the economy of, uh, of what was written in the Torah about the feast days. And then after the 10th day of the seventh month, the day of atonement, Four days later begins the great fall feast of tabernacles, which is a joyful celebration for those who are declared not guilty, that are going to live another year. They're going to receive the blessing of the Lord. And what's interesting is that the 9-11 today, uh, this year, which is in 10 days from now, 9-11 is right smack in the middle of the 10 days of awe, the days of examination, introspection. So... <clears throat> Why did we talk about that? America has been under judgment since 9-11-2001 in an, in an escalated way. And the word judgment in the Greek is where we get the word creases. There's the crema, the crino, and the creases. And the word creases is where we get the English word crises. And if anybody's denying that America has been in a crisis for the last 20 years, and if we put all the events together from 9-11-2001, and we walk through all the years of Hurricane Katrina, the eastern seaboard of the United States being obliterated and wiped out by one hurricane after another, school shootings, fires, hurricanes, tornadoes, uh, terrorist attacks, events, beheadings in uh, Oklahoma. Uh, you know, you just go on down. 58 people shot and killed at a concert in Las Vegas, Nevada. 17 killed in Parkland, Florida, going to high school. Uh, 26 dead in a church, a Baptist church in Texas. 
Um, you know, we've just seen riots. We've seen 2020, the debacle of where we are now with COVID and all the vaccination, all these things going on. One cannot deny that the political divide, the governmental divide, uh, the passing of the laws of men marrying men and women marrying women in 2015, we have been in such a major crisis that you have to be absolutely dead to insist otherwise. I mean, you, you have to have zero light, zero wisdom to understand that America has been in judgment or on, in a crisis since 9-11. That was the wake-up call. That was the alarm that rang. You know, that was the, hey, guys, you're in trouble. You're going in the wrong direction. You better make a U-turn, America, and get back to your foundation of morality and righteousness and undo these evil laws that are taking you further and further away from God. And the reason why God judged his own people so harshly in Israel is they forsook the Lord. And America has forsaken the Lord. And that is an undeniable reality. Does that mean everybody has? No. There are certain pockets or remnant of individuals who have stayed fast to the Lord. Jeremiah 15 is an excellent commentary or a scripture on how God will take care of the remnant even while everything else is falling apart because God has determined judgment that not even Moses or Samuel could stand before him and turn his mind towards these people. But to the remnant, God will be kind and will even cause the enemies to treat them with well-favoredness. It's in Jeremiah 15 uh, when they go into captivity. So God is in sovereign control. America is under judgment. There's been a crisis in our land. And remember, the crisis always brings about the word judgment in all of the meanings. The cream of the crino and the crises are always referring to separation. God uses judgment to separate his people from things that are not right. He separates. And that separation is a division. Judgment produces division. We look at our country today and we are divided. Another sign of biblical judgment. What happens when the intended purpose of judgment, which is to turn people back to God, what happens when people do not respond to judgment, but go deeper into rebellion and resistance? They're turned over to destruction. They're turned over to destruction. And God says, I am weary of repenting. I am weary of repenting. This long, thought out, should we turn lightly to the Lord, it's unacceptable to God. It is totally unacceptable to God. And it's been a long haul. And the day of accountability is here. And we have been under judgment for 20 years. What will the next several years bring upon our land? Well, I happen to believe that the Bible's clear that we are in the beginning of sorrows. And that the beginning of sorrows means that a woman is in labor and she's having birth pangs. And that's what we're witnessing all over the world. And now there's no turning back, which means once the labor pains begin, bail out on the pregnancy. Something's going to be birthed. And the surety is that while there is a pang and then some delay and then another pang, the surety is that 
eventually it's going to get into an acceleration of more intensified birth pangs the closer we get to the birthing. And what is being birthed in our season? Well, the whole new world order is coming out of the womb of the morning of a new millennial day, if you will. The Antichrist will be birthed or brought forth into the earth. I mean, we know that from Revelation 12. The crisis of the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth is being birthed out of the womb of the earth itself and out of all that's going on in the world today. And there is no stopping it. There is no turning back. We are in the beginning of sorrows, and we have seen the birth pangs. So what do we expect now? We expect another shift of acceleration into the more intensified and accelerated pangs, which I believe are going to begin with Revelation chapter 6 in the sixth seal and will continue into Revelation chapter 8 in the blowing of the trumpets and with each trumpet blast, a shaking, a reverberation, a vibration that will shake the earth like an earthquake. That's what the word trumpet actually means in the Greek in Revelation chapter 8. That when that trumpet sounds, it's a reverberation, it's like an earthquake, and it shakes, and there are events that are going to hit the earth in Revelation chapter 8, 9, in those two chapters. So Revelation 6, the sixth seal, Revelation chapter 8 and 9, the six angels with the six trumpet blasts, and then that's going to lead into Revelation 11, 12, and 13. And, and I believe that the acceleration of the events that are written in the Word of God are going to come to pass. I would love to spend time with you and go into Revelation chapter 6 and show you how the first five seals of the book of Revelation have already been opened. I mean, if you want to take a historical view of the book of Revelation, which is a prophecy, by the way, as you know, the word Revelation, the book of Revelation, five times in the book of Revelation is called a prophecy, which is a foretelling of a future events. And it is a prophecy that is set apart for the final generation to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the book of Revelation details the beginning of sorrows, the birth pangs, the tribulation, the destruction of Babylon to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a prophecy for the final generation. We are, in my understanding, the final generation because we're the generation that witnessed Israel, the fig tree, put forth their branches knowing that that generation will not pass away until all these things be fulfilled, which included the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the book of Revelation is the final prophecy. Has it begun? Well, historical view, if you want to take a 2,000-year look, absolutely. There's evidence. But more importantly, the book of Revelation, the first seal, has evidence that it opened on 9-11-2001. 9-11-2001 was the beginning of the opening of the prophecy known as the book of Revelation. And you could follow the next four seals, so the five, the five seals all together, have already be, been opened. The, the seals have opened. And by the way, the word seal in the Greek, literally in the root, means to understand. So with each event that is transpiring or unfolding, we should be understanding what time it is. That's why Jesus always said, pay attention to the signs of the times. It'll give you wisdom to know what time it is. So when 9-11 came, we should have had a biblical understanding of what just happened. 
And we have spelled it out. We have taught it. And we'll do it again if you want to do it again because it's rich. But then we saw that that white horse was the first seal. The second seal was the red horse. The third seal was the black horse. The fourth seal was the light green colored horse. And then the Lord told us, we didn't learn it from any man. The Lord showed us that those four colors, the white, the red, the black, and the green, are the colors of the Middle East, the Palestinian flag. All of the Middle Eastern flags are the colors red, white, black, and green. And so how did 9-11 begin? With Al-Qaeda, the base, the beginning. That's what Al-Qaeda means, is the base. And, you know, they came, the rider on the white horse. And who is the white horse? The horses represent people groups. Come on, the people group was Al-Qaeda. If you're going to go back to Zechariah chapter 10, you let the Bible interpret itself. That Judah, my goodly horse for the battle. That's what the Lord said about Judah. He identified them as a goodly horse for the battle, which is in Revelation 19. So the four horses, or the first four seals, are all part of the Islamic world. They came out with Al-Qaeda. They came out with Hezbollah, Hamas. They came out with Boko Haram. They came out with ISIS, Daesh, ISIL, whatever you want to call it. There was a release of Islamic terrorism throughout the world that produced famine, that, that, that destroyed people's lives, governmental exchanges in the Arab Spring in 2010 and 11. I mean, you go on, it's all happening, but very few people are paying attention. The only seal, the fifth seal is about the souls under the altar that were killed for their faith in Jesus. They're told to wait a little longer and to, until their fellow saints and brethren will die the same death they did. Talking about martyrdom. The only seal that there's no evidence in 2,000 years since the prophecy was written to have been opened is the sixth seal. And that begins with a massive earthquake. And it begins with the stars and the moon and the sun being darkened and the moon not giving her light and the stars falling from heaven, cometary impact, asteroids. And then with that sixth seal opening, chapter 7 is a simple pause in the pangs. Chapter 8 and 9 an intensification of the pangs. Chapter 10 of Revelation, another pause in the pangs. Chapter 11, 12, and 13, everything leading up to the birthing of the Great Tribulation. Chapter 14, immediately after the Tribulation chapter, there's a harvest of the earth representing the second coming of the Lord. The dead in Christ will rise. We who are alive and remaining will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and we're going to meet the Lord in the clouds. Then we're going to be with the Lord, and then chapter 15, there's a pause. Chapter 16, God pours out the seven vials of his wrath upon mystery Babylon, the prophet, the false prophet, the beast. And so Revelation chapter 16, 17, 18 is all of God's wrath upon the nations of the earth, while immediately after the tribulation, the true people of God have been resurrected, and they have been changed, and 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 translated to be with the Lord. The Lord never made landfall when he came. No, no coming of the Lord in any of the scriptures does the Lord come to make landfall until Revelation 19. Then he comes with his armies to set up his kingdom on the earth for a 1,000-year millennial reign. So immediately after the vials are poured out on the earth and the false prophet, the beast, and the dragon are dealt with, then in Revelation 19, the Lord returns with his armies. He deals. He comes to judge and make war. He takes the false prophet and the beast, casts them into the lake of fire. Then in Revelation chapter 20 is all about the throne of heaven, the millennial reign, the, the, the dragon being bound for a thousand years. And, and it just, it's such a perfect unfolding of Bible prophecy. And if we understood what was happening, we would marvel 
we would marvel at what time it is. And we would stop thinking linearly and we would start thinking vertically about the coming of the Lord, how near it really is, but how we need to prepare to go through and endure to the end that great tribulation that is coming on the earth. And all these things going on around the world are the sure signs and the birth pangs of that which is an unavoidable. It must come to pass. There is no turning back. All the nations of the earth are going. So whatever we see going on at this moment that appear to be good news items, <clears throat> remember, the best news is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in order for that to happen, there has to be a one-world government under the power of the Antichrist to bring persecution and tribulation against the saints of God, everything called God, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's coming to avoid that reality by saying there's a pre-tribulational rapture or it's for another hundred years. By putting it off is a sure sign we're ignoring the signs of the times. We're ignoring Israel becoming a nation, the fig tree putting forth its branches, which is now 73 years old, by the way, which means it has about seven years left. Sound familiar? Seven years left to reach the age of 80, and a generation is 70 years and 80 if by strength and power. But not only that, the technological explosion of Daniel chapter 12, that in the last days, knowledge would increase. And we're seeing technology exponentially explode all over the world in our generation since Israel became a nation. Then also in Daniel 12, that people would be traveling all over the world. And the Hebrew idiom is on eagle's wings. They would be flying all over the world, traveling. We're the most traveling generation in the history of the world since Israel has become a nation. There's always been a little bit, but we're the generation of the exponential rise and the revelation and the appearing and the manifestation of nations or a nation that was scattered to the ends of the earth after 1,900 years coming back together again. We would be foolish to ignore all these signs, along with famine, earthquakes, pestilences, wars, rumors of wars, uh, men's hearts uh, turning away from the Lord, heaping to themselves teachers, having itching ears, telling us what we want to hear rather than the truth. I mean, there's so much Bible prophecy going on but are we awake to see it for what it really is? Does the devil put doubt in your mind? Does the devil say, well, that sounds interesting, but he's, remember, there are two spirits in this world right now that are contending ferociously, the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ is connected to the Bible, the word of God, and that word of God is the truth. You are a king. You are a priest. You should not be afraid. You should be preparing. You should know what time it is. The word of God is clear. The devil comes on the other side and says, nah, that's not real. You're not really a king. You're not really a priest. You're not an overcomer. You're not the final generation. You could go back to sleep. You can ignore the signs of the times. You could join the revelry of all these things have been since the beginning of time and join the mockers and scoffers is what he'd have you to do. But you can't, and there is no middle ground. Oh, I want to bail out on both sides. You're dead. You can't stay in the valley of decision. God is bringing judgment to the valley of decision in Joel chapter 3. So what an amazing time to absolutely be alive. 
All these things going on. Vertically thinking. The Lord is coming. All the signs are revealing. The Lord is coming. But just before he comes, we have to go through some stuff. And we have to prepare to go through like wise virgins having oil, being prepared spiritually, solically, physically. We are tripart beings. We were studying in Bible study last night how in the book of James that when patience has her perfect work, we are perfected and entire. And the word entire there meant no part lacking, every part made whole. You know, the work of Christ in your life is to make you and I whole, spirit, soul, and body. No deficiency in any part. That's biblical reality. So many people are living broken. They're fragmented between their soul and spirit. Their bodies are sick and diseased. Why is that? That's not God's will. That's not just the way it is. No, the gospel possesses the power to bring wholeness to every area. Now, we balance that out. With an understanding, the Apostle Paul said that these physical bodies are a humiliation because they do grow old, okay? They're not intended to live forever, but God has a body that is built and designed to go on forever. You're going to inherit that and your spirit and soul that could be totally made whole by the work of Christ on the cross is going to be transferred into a body that will never be put to death again or never get sick, never die, Well, that's our opening today. I want to say good morning to some of our friends out there who are with us today. I'm saying good morning to Kevin Hauger, Jeff Bass, Diana Langford, and David Ellison. All right, just a few folks on the uh, chat room. But Kevin says good morning, and uh, good morning to you, Kevin. Uh, Pastor Jeff Bass is glad to hear you back on and sharing the word of God with us. Love it, Pastor Jeff. God bless you. Uh, Diana Langford, Planned Parenthood is opening an office in Rogers, Arkansas. We are circulating a petition against opening the office. Petition will be sent to city council. We must continue to speak against evil. Proud of Texas. All right, Diana Langford, anything we can do to assist or help, we will. Certainly by sounding the alarm, blowing the trumpet. We're not opposed to fighting the battle, regardless of what we see is taking place in our world. We're going to we're, we're going to do our part, whatever that is, okay, because that's always the right thing to do. Always do what is right, regardless. So we're not bailing out. We're going to continue to prepare. We're going to get ready. We understand what's coming, but we will stand in the gap. In fact, in Arkansas, I believe that particularly Northwest Arkansas was designed to be an ark. I believe it's designed to be a refuge for the gathering together of many saints across this country. So we do want to keep this part of the country clean, and we need to stand up, and we need to uh, bring against that invasive spirit coming from all different types of communities at bay, and so we will stand up and do whatever we can to assist, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Tammy Ivey is joining us today. Good morning. I see a number of friends. Shirley Wolseley is with us this morning. Good morning, Pastor. Continue to speak God's word. We need this voice. Praise God, the voice of the Lord, we do. And and God needs your voice to be out there everywhere you go to be able to take the things that we're sharing and you need to bring them with your ecumen, your calling, your unique gifting, and bring them out to everyone you meet 
I want to say good morning to a number of our friends that are tuned in right now on Blog Talk Radio. God bless all of you. Remember, if you have a question or a comment, you just need to press one on your dial pad. So the number to call for any questions or comments, 818-369-0326. And I always like putting that number on the board, and I better put this one out there, 818-369-0326, and then press one on your dial pad. I'll see you. I'll bring you into the conversation. And uh, that's it. We're 56 minutes into our broadcast today. And so where are we? Where are we? We're right in the center of God's heart. We are right in the center of God's will. We're following the light of the world. We're walking in the light. We are the children of light. We are not of the darkness. We are the children of light. We are the light of the world. We have the light of the world dwelling in us, and it needs to outrage from us, and it needs to manifest like light rays shining out of every one of us, right? We are the light of the world. You never put a bushel over your light. The light that is in you is truth. It is wisdom. It is spiritual intelligence. And that light, when you speak, it comes out of the orifices of your being. You, you have the ability to see and to smell and to hear and to speak. You're the only speaking spirit in the universe on, on this earth. You're the only speaking spirits. So speak the words of God like only you can. Let the light shine. Uh, praise the Lord. So let's go back here. Chuck Eastridge is with us today. Praise the Lord for Chuck. God bless you guys. It's, uh, how many of you are actually coming to the Feast of Tabernacles? We have the Feast of Tabernacles coming up September 21st. We're 20 days away, 20 days from now. We are going to be gathering in Northwest Arkansas. This will be our 31st year of hosting the Feast of Tabernacles. It is not an old Jewish feast. It is not an Old Testament legalistic requirement. If you understand the word of God concerning the feast of the Lord, you would joyfully prepare to get involved wherever you're going to go to celebrate the feast, whether it's Jerusalem, Israel, or whether it's Northwest Arkansas, to understand this moment of the strategy that God has for his people who honor him for his feasts, you would be amazed. And I will remind everyone that, again, that it was on the fourth day of creation in Genesis chapter 1 when God created the sun, moon, and stars, and he gave those lights for signs and seasons, for moeds, which it actually, on the fourth day of creation, what God did was he created a calendar, his calendar, in the heavens. And that's why Abraham looked at the stars. Daniel looked at the stars. That's why the wise men knew that there was a star over Bethlehem. They knew because they were trained and taught. God's calendar is in the heavens. And on the fourth day of creation, when he put the calendar in the heavens, he said he used the word moed, the times and seasons, the moed, which actually in the Hebrew means appointed set times, appointed feast days appointed seasons, appointed celebrations. Read it for yourself. It's the Moed. 
So on the fourth day of creation, before man was ever on the earth, before there was ever a Mosaic law, God had already put in his mind on his calendar that he would have set times for the people that he created and loves to gather together. And he called these feast days and celebrations. I mean, and then we think, well, that's an old Jewish thing. No, these are the Lord's feasts. He gave them to the Jewish people. They're not the Jews' feasts. They're not the, I mean, the Jews called them their feasts in in the day that they were far away from the Lord in the Gospels. They're not the church's feasts. They're the Lord's feasts. God intended this to be taking place from the fourth day of creation. Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, let us therefore keep the feast, but he meant it in a spiritual way. All the outward show of the feasts, of all that they did, that's secondary to the primary purpose. And my goodness, when we were gone and we had our one-week rest, and God downloaded some revelation concerning the feast. I can't release it. I'd love to do it right now. You're going to be amazed at the eternal purpose of God in the feast of the Lord. It's going to be awesome. We've got Pastor David and Victoria coming to minister the word of God. Pastor Kevin Honeycutt is coming to minister the word of God from Tennessee, South Dakota. Pastor Melissa Fletcher coming. Pastor uh, from uh, Rapids, Del Rapids, South Dakota, Pastor Melissa Fletcher coming down. Uh, Some friends just talked to us from Minnesota coming down. Uh, Pastor Ken Maddox coming from Fayetteville, the uh, Gateway Church, is going to be ministering to us. We're going to have music and worship, and we're going to have uh, fellowship, and we'll be every day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, under the tent, on the ark, and then every evening we'll be gathering together in our fellowship building in Bella Vista and I mean, we're getting ready. A meal will be provided every day. A massive, beautiful lunch will be served, early morning coffee, bagels. Uh, But the idea is for seven days, people coming together, gathering together, meeting the body. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. And again, I can't go any further, but it's going to be a very rich time. And I want you to know that Jesus, he always shows up at his own feast. And you and I have been invited. And they who honor the Lord, he will honor And so I I just don't know how many ways to put it out there that this is not a religious, legalistic Old Testament thing. This is something that existed before there was ever an Old Testament. It existed before there was ever a Mosaic law, just like tithes did and offerings did and Sabbath days did. You know, all these things existed before there was ever the Mosaic law. And God just preserved them within the law. And then when Christ came and the new age of grace came, these things still are very rich. That's why the Apostle Paul said, keep it. Um, But we could go into all of that. We will study it all. But we'll have seven days, not an hour and a half or two hours to go through a podcast, seven days where there is no time. Seven days where God calls his people to come out of Babylon, come out of the Egyptian empire, stop building their bricks, separate yourself unto me. And he's going to bring a reservoir of revelation, wisdom, understanding in an environment of joy and celebration and feasting, not fasting. You got to get ready. You got to get ready. And with everything that the church is going through and people are going through and what the world's going to go through, we're going to show up and God's going to equip us with a strategy for success with kingdom authority and understanding and wisdom, how to navigate through what is going to continue to unveil and show up. So make sure that you go before the Lord and just ask the Lord, 
You're having a feast. You've invited me. I'd like to go, but I've got all these responsibilities. And then if you read the scriptures, God says, if you go up to my feast, I'll take care of your land. I'll take care of everything. I mean, God's like, when, when Jesus taught the parable, Lord, I'd love to come to your feast, but I've got my new cattle and I've got to take care of it. Or I just married a wife and I've got to tend to her. Or I just built a new house or bought some new land and I've got to tend to it. People were making excuses why they wouldn't come up, and it's all the things of this world. The very things Jesus said, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, drink, or put on. And yet people were making excuses to avoid the feast of the Lord because these other things. And the Lord said, all right, go to the highways and hedges. Compel them to come in. I want people at my feast. And they did. And he said, these others who rejected or refused, they're not entering in. Wow, that's heavy duty. It's not legalistic. It's not control. It's God's word. So I'm just saying, maybe you're like, well, my salvation doesn't depend upon going to the feast. I happen to agree with you. Our salvation is rooted in the work of Christ on the cross. I believe that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. However, When we're saved by grace and accepted of the Father, we are brought into his economy. We're brought into his kingdom. We're brought into his house, and we learn his ways. And while we're born again, we may as well experience one of the things that God prepared on the fourth day of creation for all of his people and celebrate and come to understand, well, what is this feast all about? And is it something to do with the kingdom? Is it connected to the kingdom? Is it something that's going to be valuable and intrinsic to my spiritual development and cultivation and growth? And the answer is absolutely yes. The feasts of the Lord are designed for the intrinsic value of every believer to take us from the glory of Passover, the death of Christ on the cross in the outer court, to the the glory of Pentecost, being filled with the Holy Spirit, to the glory of tabernacles, the union between us and the Father. We go from glory to glory, the glory of Passover to the glory of Pentecost, from the glory of Pentecost to the glory of tabernacles. What is that? It's an inward development, a maturation of our spiritual growth. Praise God for the Passover. Praise God for the Lamb of God who shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins in the outer court. But then thank God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit 50 days later, the infilling of the Spirit of God. We're washed, we're purged, we're vindicated, justified by the blood. Now we're empowered by the Spirit to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit. And then, thank God, which was an inner court ministry, a 60-fold part of this whole paradigm of God, and then four months later, we go into the Holy of Holies, the realm of the Father, So we have Jesus, the Son, in Passover, the Spirit of God in Pentecost, the Father in Tabernacles, the Outer Court in Passover, the Inner Court in Pentecost, the Holy of Holies in Tabernacles, the 30-fold in the Outer Court, the 60-fold in the Inner Court, the 100-fold in the Holy of Holies, the Faith Realm of Passover, the Hope Realm of the Pentecost, the Love Realm, these three remain, Faith, Hope, and Love, the greatest of these is Love, the greatest feast is Tabernacles, Passover has already been fulfilled. Pentecost has already been fulfilled. The last feast to be fulfilled is tabernacles. And 
I'm not even hinting to you right now what it's really all about. I'm just showing you as a valid, and there is a revelation and a mystery that's going to encourage you. But you see, these are things that God is unfolding and revealing to all the ministers that are going to be coming. God's going to download them with a message for the body. But also the people in the body of Christ, they're going to have a revelation from the Lord. So we're going to have provided environments where we all get to talk. Everybody gets to share. Folks, we got some things lined up because we believe this year's theme for the Feast of Tabernacles is recovery and deliverance. Uh, And we've already started preaching on the recovery theme and the deliverance theme. And I just believe God is about to finalize uh, deliverance in many people's lives to undo the final shackles and the afflictions. And there's a time of recovery where people are going to get back everything that was stolen from them. This is part of the divine strategy. Even as we walk into the darkness, remember the children of Israel had light. And while Egypt was about to be destroyed, all the wealth was transferred to the children of Israel. And I've I've got to leave some things right there. What is the point? This is awesome. That's the point. This is awesome. (laughs) All right. So it's a good time to be alive. September 1st, 2021. September has begun. Watch and see in the middle of all that's going on in this earth. God is moving amongst his people. And God has some incredible strategies lined out. Amen and amen. So to all of you that have been tuned in today, I want to thank you for joining me on the air. I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. And I did something on purpose, by the way. I actually, coming up right now on OmegaRadio.org, I'm going to replay a uh, roundtable discussion uh, with Patricia Joy Xavier out of her book, my wife, Patricia, Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights, because it was profound if you really listen to it. So I'm getting ready to say goodbye. And remember, right after this broadcast, if you'll just go to omegaradio.org, and you'll be able to listen. And you're going to hear an incredible conversation. Pay attention. Remember, every day, if you ever want to listen live or watch live in the video, just go to omegaradio.org and hit the watch live. And when we're live, it will come up. And it's been an honor to be with you today. So we've put it out there. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless you. Have a super wonderful day. Shalom.